Gwendolyn, thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. It's morning for me and Harry. Yeah, it's it's evening. in California here. It's um, it's about five o'clock, so yeah. evening. Yeah. And uh, did you take some time today to uh, just reflect on the gravity of, of the day? Uh, yeah, uh, reflecting and and tearing up and just I don't know. It's such an emotional day here, and. Right. So much has happened over the last 20 years, and uh, we we had a talk last night uh, about this and about just where we we're, just, we're calling where we were and the emotions that we felt uh, during uh, you know during this tragedy. And it's been 20 years, and just we just want to make sure that we don't forget those people who yeah. lost their lives. I mean, we always say we'll never forget, but I think when we're when we're uh, when we're not living up to how we said we were going to, which is, this is no longer one country where, uh, this, this, this is, we're no longer divided. This is where one, we're one country. It's like, I think those are ideals we really need to start living up to. And that's really how we remember those people. So uh, that being said, we want to start off with a little bit of a, we call it friendly fire, but we'll call it like a friendly fire slash lightning round specifically with your books okay so this is going to be solely related uh -oh. to your books okay uh oh you ready all right okay yeah yeah exactly so if you could meet any of your characters any one character in real life who would it be so okay this was your lightning round right and that's yeah. so hard because i feel I like know, all I my know. All my little all my characters have a part of my heart in them, but I would say because I have 18 books in the Sammy Keys mystery series that I would totally want to hang out with Sammy Keys. Sammy Keys. Okay. So if you were if you were a 13 year old or a 14 year old, which one of your characters would you want to go on a date with? And you weren't married, well, obviously. <laughs> Right. No, but I think everybody probably in that age range would uh, Bryce, would answer Bryce Lasky. Bryce Lasky. Although, as a Sammy Keys fan, her the crush in her world is named Casey Acosta, and I personally, I think I would rather go out with Casey. All right. Actually, I, I was just making a joke to you because uh, Harry's from Australia, so Bryce is actually from Australia. Uh, Bryce Lasky. All right, uh, Harry, you got the lightning. Oh, see, that's terrible. It's like, that's a terrible question. <laughs> I want you to do a redo because it's like saying, which one of your babies do you like the best? So it would totally depend on who you were and what you liked, and I'm not answering that question. Okay, how about this one? Uh, which one is your personal favorite? I'm very- No, 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 you can't ask me that. Really? Come on, no, I can't answer that. That's just I'm gonna go with flip. Okay, I Bye. see. All right. And uh, last one, can you give us like a general idea of what, what maybe like your top three uh, most popular books are and kind of like maybe like a rough guesstimate uh, of how many they've sold or how many you sold in general? Uh, so I understood the first part. It's like, um, so Flipped, uh, because there was a feature film made out of it, is, is more widely known around the world. Um, Sammy Keys, because there are 18 books in it, have sold a lot of copies over the years. And I would say The Running Dream is catching up to Flipped and it's like people knowing about it. So those would be the top three. And mm -hmm. I missed the second half of your question. 
Can you give us like a rough estimate of how many books uh, that, that they've sold either individually or collectively? Oh my gosh. I have, it, there, it's, it's like in the millions. I have no idea. I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not one of those people who studies the, the spreadsheet of it. I'm more into the heart of. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, and with book club and with, with book fair and with, you know, you, sales around the world and everything. I, I just, it's hard to keep up. Well, it's, and I don't really, I, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not the king in the counting house counting all the, the money. I, I would rather just spend my focus on it's the, the work's impact on other people, uh, their lives and their emotions. And cause that's where I come yeah. from as far as writing. Yeah. You know what, you know, what is amazing is, so I've done quite a bit of research actually watching all your, your past interviews and I'm about to put some, we're going to put something up from one of those interviews, but I have been genuinely amazed just the level of love and impact that these books have had um, on people and not just kids. I, I don't really, I don't really like to just call you like a, a children's author because one is young adults as well, but there's also adults like me who actually really like your, like not only like your work, but just the message the message behind it by empowering um, younger people and maybe females as well. And so I just think it's just so utterly powerful. And as a father of a daughter, half Korean daughter, it just, it's, it's resonated so strongly with me. And so I just really want to thank you for that, Wendelin. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you've got, I mean, um, that you've gone and, and researched it. And I think that what people find when they read my work is, is that I, is that I do let my heart out, which uh -huh. is, it, it makes you very vulnerable and it, it's, it's, but, but that's what I do. And I think people feel that when they read my work and right. um, that means a lot to me. If you take a look at uh, uh, TikTok, there's been close to half a billion views off of videos that are related to flipped. Not necessarily by you, but just, pe yeah, yeah, really. People make uh, their their little testimonials or they do actually like recuts. It's just yeah. so cute. They did, I, I saw, I'm not sure if you saw this one, but they like remade like the trailer, but with like younger kids. It was so adorable. It's like adorable. The, the flipped, they're called edits. The flipped edits yeah. on TikTok. I mean, I could spend... I could spend years looking at, at them. They're just delightful. And and then the heart that the kids put into it is like, that's my Bryce, you know, my Julie. My, and the way that they do it is is so clever and, and just creative. I just I just love the the fan base on TikTok for flipped. Yeah, it's amazing. So speaking of which, we want to get started at some of your roots because from the research that I've done, it, I mean, I think has one of the most amazing stories about persistence. Um, and I think you're, you've released a, a recent book called uh, Hope in the Mail. And the way that I saw you explaining it about like literally putting hope in the mail, that's just phenomenal. Um, because I, I'm, I'm almost positive like 99% of people would not have been able to persist through that because that seemed just um, some insurmountable odds. So can you just give us a little background about how you got started? Okay, so Hope in the Mail is is my first nonfiction work and it's 
it's a, a book um, to give people inspiration toward their creative pursuits. So it's for writers, but it's for really for any anybody, um, adults included, that that feel like they, they have a creative passion, but mm -hmm. they run into roadblocks in their lives. And um, it's really hard. It's really easy to get discouraged. So the phrase hope in the mail comes from my husband and I were, we're both young writers wanting to get published and being rejected a lot. So I was writing novels and, um, and I would, I would take them to the post office because back then it was, you know, you went via snail mail mm -hmm. as opposed to email. Mm -hmm. And, and I would, I would, put a manuscript to an editor or agent in New York and and I would leave the the post office feeling a sense of hope. Like I was I was creating the possibility that someone somewhere would read my work and and want to um, buy my story because we were living in a, it was a really hard time. We had we had been through well I specifically had been through some awful times with my original family. And I, um, um, and so there was tragedy. There was, a, there was a lot to cry over. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just, I, we were just going through this really hard time. And I, I used writing as a, as a way to cope with the things that I was feeling about that. And uh, eventually it, it evolved into writing books for young people, but at the t it's not how I started. I started needing to really get back at the bad guys in my life. And just, it was, it was therapy more than it was literature. But, but I had this, this notion that if I, if I could place a book that I would get a million dollars and that hmm. it would take care of my family's financial troubles. And I, and so um, I, I, would write and I would send to editors and agents in New York and then they would reject me. Um, but every time I would write something new, I would send it out again. And this, and so my husband started saying when I get depressed because mm -hmm. he would get, re I would get reject slips. And when, when I, uh, when I get depressed about it, he'd say, well, did you put hope in the mail today? And it wow. became that phrase that he and I used for each other to keep each other going about our, our creative pursuits. It's like, did you mail something to someone who could possibly say yes to you? And so hope in the mail became that phrase that got us through, for me, 10 years of being rejected by agents and editors in New York before my first book sold. 10 years? <laughs> yeah. And wow. you know, if, if I had known it was going to be 10 years when I, I may not have persisted but I yeah. didn't know it was going to be 10 years and every day I thought today could be the day because I had hope in the mail and someone could say yes to me so so our philosophy is as long as you keep putting hope in the mail as, as long as you keep persisting keep trying keep keep like growing in your art and keep pursuing you know the the dream that you have as long as you keep putting hope in the mail today could be the day and my my day took 10 years but it did that's come because i didn't give up uh, and Wendelin, i had read on from your wikipedia page that you had had like a business that had burned down and that was kind of like your motivation um so that's on wikipedia i don't look at my wiki page but <laughs> um i know there's a lot of misinformation oh. out there but no my my parents are 
were uh, immigrants from Holland uh -huh. and uh -huh. they started their own business. Uh -huh. And yes, it was destroyed by an arsonist. And that was the thing oh my that God. started me on my, my uh, path to trying to get back at the bad guys because that was just devastating. Wow. Wow. So, and today it's true too. You get rejects, but it's in the email mm -hmm. or you get ignored. So both applied then and they both apply now. Um, then what you would get would be like a, a, a Xeroxed copy of a ditto from the 60s <laughs> that said, we're sorry, this is not right for us at this time, mm -hmm. but please think of us again with your next project. Oh, so it'd be man. like this form, like very poorly copied thing yeah. that would come in the mail so yeah. um, and rejection is hard it mm. it is and 10 years of it i mean it is it does wear you down but the thing that keeps you going is if you are continuing to grow in in your art or your whatever it is that you're doing you continuing to improve and then you you can say well okay you didn't like that wait till you read this Mm. you're going to think this is the best thing ever written. Then you're going to send me a million dollars and my family's financial troubles will be over with. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something else I'm, I'm interested in. How do you get better at that? Because, because I think it's, it's easy. There's, I know a lot of people who are creative types and um, they can just sort of sit and keep doing stuff, but it's can be questionable as to whether that stuff leads to any valuable output. So what's the, what's the tip for getting better at something while you're sitting there working through those 10 years of, of application and rejection? Well, I think just doing it is important. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, especially uh, about writing, people dream about being a writer, but they don't actually put the words on the page. So mm -hmm. you have to actually do it. It's like anything. If you want to be a good basketball player, you need to go out and practice your, you know, shooting hoops and dribbling and doing the things the basketball players do. If you want to be a, a, a sculptor, you need to sculpt. Mm -hmm. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. Even if you don't see yourself getting better, you are getting better. So, and also then educating yourself. Um, and reading other work, if you're if you're a writer, reading other work, analyzing mm -hmm. it critically to see how, you know, why does this make me cry when I read it? Why did this make me laugh when I read it? Why do I think this this paragraph is so beautifully written? Mm. Like analyze it, go to school in in the creative area that you, you want to excel, and and that applies to to any pursuit. I think is just you have to do it. Yeah. So I, I saw another interview with you, Gwendolyn, and it showed the actual house. And Harry, if you could put that up, I, I sent you an email. But um, this is where you're living at the time. And does that like motivate you uh, even further to um, say, like, I want to get out of here? Or is that, did that serve as a, uh, as a kind of motivation uh, for you? Because well, I've seen your house now and it's quite significantly better. So, uh, four four hundred square foot flat roof, rundown rental in a bad part of town, mm -hmm. and um, it was yes. Every year for ten years, every Christmas for ten years, I was. I am not spending another Christmas in this house. <laughs> um, and then you spend Christmas in the house, and your husband says, 
did you put hope in the mail today? <laughs> so yeah, there it is. That that was the place um, where where my writing career started, and it was actually that's a good looking version of it. <laughs> um, wow. it. And you know, we built a fence, we planted plants, we we patched the roof, we the windows didn't open. It was just it was a temporary place that we were living while we got back on our feet. And wow. temporary turned into 10 years. And <laughs> wow. um but see, I think I think that the best stories might come from a place of of adversity. Because right. Because the person who who reads your work can feel your heart in it. I know I keep mm. saying that, but yeah. it's like uh, Sammy Keys and the 18 books in that series began in that little house. Uh -huh. And I uh -huh. looked out the blinds at, you know, the homeless people on my porch and the just the the the, the violence. I mean, there were gunshots. There were I mean, it was a bad part of town. And all wow. of that worked its way into this series about a disenfranchised girl who lives right. illegally with her grandmother mm -hmm. in a seniors only building. So it all became kind of woven in. And I, I'd say like, if I had lived in a gated community, <laughs> I don't know that it, whether there would be. Right, right, right. Actually, I was just talking about that just the other day where, where um, I, I've got a lot of friends who are artists. I, I was into theater for a while <clears throat> and have written a book as well, though it didn't go nearly as well as yours have. And I often talk with people about artists and, and whether the government needs to support artists and, and whether it needs to be a viable living. And I do think there is something to be said that, that adversity sort of builds the be some of the best art. It gives some of the best initial starting state for somebody to become really fantastic at what they do. Um, because they can speak to something like exactly as you're describing of homeless people sitting on the porch, a, a connection to um, difficulty and adversing, adversing, you know, triumph over adversity that can be so much more powerful when it comes from place of authenticity that if it doesn't come from that, it can, yeah. I don't know, I think it can lack something or end up being. Totally yeah. And you know what, uh, Wendelin, I recently sent you a a podcast that we did with a man who has cerebral palsy who actually died at birth and uh how do you spend like eight it months a, in it? you have you have the most um diverse eclectic uh, <laughs> on your show it's really it fascinating and i yeah i did watch that and he's he's i mean he's a rapper he has this <laughs> attitude which yeah, is yeah just so cool yeah you know it's so funny you have to see the episode that darrington and i did right before that literally he mentioned in there he had to go pick up someone's kid so Garrington and I were sitting around for an hour so we're like oh we might as well do something here but we talked about the issues like in a very philosophical way and he comes in just like a guy off the street and just spits all this street knowledge yeah. at us. and it was amazing because he was talking about like everything that we were talking about but just in the way that maybe uh, most your average person might talk but anyway what I was asking him was that if he thought that having like a disability could could actually serve as you know something like a catalyst to, to mm -hmm. motivate and to overcome it seems like it, honestly in the long run it's like an advantage because what he told me the way he explained it is he used a pejorative to refer to me he called me a normie and he said whenever you're like a normie which means you don't have an outright physical disability 
then you can kind of become complacent, you know? And, mm. and so the way that he owned his disability, I got to say, I've seen a lot of people uh, talk about their disabilities, but he was like, this is not a disability. It's not a disability to me. You may think it's a disability, but in my opinion, you're the one with the disability. So I was like, wow. So anyway, can, can, can I, sure. so I think yeah. that it's, it's his, it's his choice of attitude, mm. right? That, that this is how he chooses to look at his situation. Right. And I think for, for a lot of us, it comes down to that choice of attitude, how we are going to take the, the lemons in our lives and mm -hmm. make them into lemonade. It, it, it really, there is a, a, a lot of, um, there is a lot of choice to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we want to get into some of your actual work. Um, I was wondering if you could give us like a really quick synopsis of no. Sammy Keys. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> oh, so but, but before we go to Sammy Keys, can I just because this would segue sure. into the running dream. Okay. So so the running dream is a story about a high school track star who loses her leg in this bus accident on the way back from a track meet. And so she she thinks her life is over. So mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know. Um, and the reason that I wrote this book was because I was a high school teacher for many years and, and um, there, okay. And it, it seemed that no matter what you would try to do as, as a teacher to, to be, to have your students be inclusive of people who were different, it's just a hard sell. It, it's trying to get them to include them in their lunch circle or whatever it is that you're you're mm. trying to give them a home inside this place called school. Um, it, it was always just difficult. And so uh, rather than, so I thought that, so I ran the New York Marathon and I saw these, these just incredible people with, with physical challenges that I couldn't even dream about running 26.2 miles with the challenges that they had. I mean, it was hard mm -hmm. enough having two. Right, right. Yeah. So um, it got me thinking and, and then being a teacher. And it just so it, I came up with this character named Jessica who loses her leg. And it sounds tragic and awful. But my reason for it was that when Jessica uh, thinks her life is over, it's how mm -hmm. you reframe your life, right? And you go through that period of mourning. You're mourning the loss of your leg, um, and that your life is, is so forever changed. Um, and she goes back to school, and it's just horrible. And she notices that people won't look her in the eye anymore. Mm. They don't. They don't want to like. They don't want to. They don't know how to deal with the fact that this horrible thing has happened to her. And she gets sat in the back of the class, her math class, by a. Uh, another student who she has never looked in the eye, who a student who's in a motorized wheelchair and who has cerebral palsy. And so wow. it's the friendship between those two. It's like this, this girl goes from being a track star and very popular mm -hmm. to now she's sitting beside this girl with cerebral palsy that she's never said hello to and she has nothing in common with. Wow. Wow. The girl with cerebral palsy is really smart. She's a math whiz and she winds up helping Jessica catch up in math and wow. they form a friendship. So this becomes the story about, um, about the two of them 
and about Jessica helping her, her new friend achieve a dream that she had had for many years. And just, it, it, but my reason for writing it was because I wanted to get into the heart of my former mm -hmm. students and wow. students out across the country read this as an all school read, but it, I want to get to touch their heart because Jessica could be any of us. She could be any, you know, person with, with their whole life is, is, looks right. like it's coming up roses and, and suddenly something happens and, and realizing that that could also be you and how would, how would you want people to treat you and how, how would you reframe your life? So that you, it it was a, a a bigger you had a bigger broader purpose than just you know being the fastest at the 400. So I wanted to bring that up because of your previous guest and just kind of that association with with the the whole idea behind the running dream the book is that what you see as the finish line like she sees this as the finish line of her life it's over. Yeah. But actually, when you look at a track, the finish line in many races doubles as your starting line. Yeah. So, oh, wow. I like it. Wow. I like, it. So I you, like that. Yeah. How you frame, it's how you reframe your existence. And um, so that's what that book's about. Well, the, this has got me interested. I'm, I'm I've fascinated by how much this, this might affect you because I think that nowadays... Well, it's a difficult topic to write about, to write about disability. Um, and I think for a lot, for lots of different reasons, many of the books you would write would, would delve into interesting areas where people would worry about what's the, what kind of message that's sending to children. Have you had any instances of that, of people sort of saying, oh, this book's terrible because I found this sort of, this passage that for some reason doesn't speak to my morals. And, and I think, I think Wendelin's a bad person trying to get you canceled. Wow. To tell you the truth, no. Oh, I, 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 um, people, readers and readers of my work, I guess, maybe, um, no, they send me a lot of love and they, they send me a lot of support. And I know that there is a, there is a small faction of the population and of the readers out there who, who like to bite mm. and cut. Um, but they're compared to the, the positive people out there who love and share books that have impacted them and uh, affected them. I, I think, you know, the biters and the cutters have nothing on them. That, that's some of what was making me think it, because if I just pull it up here, when I go to look at any of these, not only do your books have just extraordinarily high ratings, but they're also, yeah, people just effusive, just glowing. Oh, actually, it's not showing that. There we go. Just people glowing about the sort of the, the story it, it, it told me. And I thought, ah, oh, it's, it's got to have brought some people out of the woodwork. So that's, so then are you thinking, is that any, at all in your mind, dealing with topics really sensitively, if, if that's never happened to? I, I absolutely have respect for uh, and um, sensitivity toward uh, yes and I and I I um, will always have my facts checked and my um, like I I have a neighbor um, who who's a grown woman she's she had, she's born with cerebral palsy mm. and um, but she she has recently gotten um, what do you call it? It's not a lie. She's, she's a lawyer now. Oh, she's wow. past the bar. the bar. She's a lawyer and she's an advocate for people like herself who, mm -hmm. who to be representing court. She's also a pilot. 
How, you know, wow. I'm just like, this woman is just amazing. <laughs> and so I, um, when I was writing The Running Dream, I asked her to read it before I sent it to my editor. <laughs> and she had notes for me. Okay. And I listened to her notes. Wow. Oh, would you, so, would you be comfortable sharing what some of those are? Because that, that's fascinating to me. Um, she's, she's uh, one of the things I remember, and it's, it's been a little while now. So, but one of the things that I remember was that she, um, the dialogue, she said that, that the character with cerebral palsy, her name is Rosa. Rosa is a math whiz. She's super smart, but she speaks in simplistic sentences. Mm. And to reflect her intelligence, you need to give her more difficult sentences. Mm. And I thought mm. that's spot on. Mm. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. That's so, right. so speaking of which, um, you know, talk about doing some research or, or, or something about having a backstory. Bryce's father and, um, uh, Inevitably, Flip is going to come up. We're going to come back to Flip, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. Let me get it up. Speaking of which, you got a little special thing here, a little special surprise at the end for that, but we'll save that to the end. But so Bryce's father, and this was actually supposed to come up in the first one. I'm glad that my both of my uh, co-hosts like totally wind up fizzing out because it actually saves us for this question here. But like, to what extent would you write a background story or have it into your mind about like a character like uh, Bryce's father, because it becomes very obvious that one of the reasons why he's so angry is because he has this this dream he didn't get to pursue, and it's it's turned him into a better person. So, whenever you're writing background stories about someone to influence their their decisions and their words, like to what extent? Do you do you do that? Like, do, do you would you would you say with a character like that, he was really trying for this amount of years to you know to make this this record and he never could. He was trying to save up money. Or uh, what extent will you go to to actually like fill in even someone like Sam Keys or uh, Julie Baker? Do you actually write like a background story about them and uh, to, so to really I know, make them authentic? I know that a lot of authors do extensive like character study before they start my preference is to get the to know the characters better as i write mm. them like to let them show themselves to me mm -hmm. and so it's an evolution through the pages of me getting to know them like you get to know anybody i just um but the 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 drawback for that is that the revision process is more extensive than it is mm. for someone who has already done a you know a character study and they've defined everyone before they go in. That's what the I was thinking. You would, is, you would have to change bits and then go back and go, hang on, no, that's right. not how that got that way. Right. So, but the benefit is that it feels like a natural evolution into getting to know somebody mm. as opposed to like I have a preconceived notion of who this person is. And when I'm writing about them, this is my, this is, they're going to uphold this preconceived notion of who I said they are. Um, mm -hmm. So there's no room for like them to, to show you who they are, which sounds crazy. I know. Oh, but, no, but, I, I get it. I get it. But it's so I, I like to, to have a, a general idea and then I like to have it evolve. And sometimes wow. it evolves in a direction I wasn't expecting it to go. Like the wow. character says to me, no, this is who I am. And I'm like, oh, wow. That's wow. That's almost like being a god of like 
you have well, a character. I mean, like no, in, in sometimes I feel like I'm the character's pawn, and they're just you know, wow. they're moving me around. That's what I feel wow. like. I'm like, wait, don't go over there. I don't want you to go over there. Oh, I'm so, going here. So, so what I've heard is uh, called character rebellion. Okay, that that's a yeah. term I've used. Yeah. We actually did. We interviewed a creative, like a fiction fantasy author, and he was talking about the extent he would go to to like try to understand the character so for example he would do stuff like brew his own beer to to try to he like because they're doing something like that or he would actually go out and like do work with like a like still work so you could kind of like get an oh, idea yeah. of it, oh, up absolutely hands. i do all that stuff this is really like in, in wild bird um she had to build she had to start a fire with using just friction and i've done a lot of camping mm. but i had never you know started a fire with just friction and and so yeah you did I, wow I, yeah i do all that stuff wow <laughs> if, if you wow. want to know what the really inside tough thing to start a fire with that one fire that way it, well there's a there's a whole story in hope in the mail about mm. it and like the epiphany i got from my time doing that research and and it, it was actually wow. i i research is is such a fun thing it's it makes you feel like you're always still learning and there's yeah. there's an infinite number of things to learn so being a writer and doing your research is is actually yeah it could be it could be a a distraction from getting pages written because it's just so fascinating wow. you know it's interesting Wendelin. Uh, so initially when i had contact you you were a bit reluctant uh, to come on because because some of the topics we talk about we talk about some controversial topics but we keep it very surface level very respectful which is we're trying to set an example for other people to to look at the way we can discuss things and agree to disagree on points and still be respectful along the way but we were very cautious to not mention anything personal or anything controversial uh, and when we had a discussion about flipped but that being said <laughs> but it gotten very it caught me really off guard i mean you could see me like literally in the um in the in the podcast i like i, I like it just catches me off guard uh, because you, you became emotional when discussing some of the characters and some of their behavior and so in what sense do these like characters become like real to you where you feel like they're uh yes in a sense they're just imaginary but in the case of like sammy keys that was so powerful whenever you're talking about sammy keys helps a homeless kid or something and then you talked about some homeless person wanted to wanted something from i think her laundry or something wanted to help you with her laundry and the character actually wanted influence you in your own real life i thought that was fascinating so can you can you give me a little bit of like how do you actually view these characters because it's they seem pretty dang real to you let's say that yeah they are and and it it is a it's for me it's a very emotional thing to to be in a story with well with any of these characters especially sammy keys because i have 18 books mm. and so i have spent that many years you know in her life and it was it was um the last sammy keys book came out the year my son turned 18 so he's an wow. adult he's going to college and, and i'm like it's like my girl my imaginary girl i mean she's my daughter right i don't have a daughter i have two sons and i'm like my my girl and it was just like i bawled my eyes out when i finished oh my gosh when i finished oh the, the series 
because I, you know, I, I had, she was, she is so real to me. And, and my mm -hmm. characters, when I spend time with them, it's just like, I'm immersed. I'm mm -hmm. immersed. I think about them all the time. They're in my head all the time. And, and I, and I, and yes. So that story about the, the homeless woman and how I, and, and I, it, she knocked on my door and she wanted to use my dryer to dry her clothes. And, and, and I had my two little kids and, and I really, and my husband wasn't home and I'm like, I just, cause we were living in that little house, you know, in a bad part wow. of town. And I, I, I would, it would just have been easier to say, no, I'm sorry. But in my head, cause I, in my head, it's like, well, Sammy Keys would help her. Wow. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so it was like, and it was that moment I realized that even though I'm creating this character, this create this character is making me a better person. Right, which is, right. Which is which is just a trippy thing for your head to absorb. Yeah, that's a wow. that's a huge thing. So there's so there's do you do you read your books back? Well, after the revision process, when I've read through them probably thirty times, um, I never read my own work, or I haven't. Okay, <laughs> um, I haven't because. I, I can't take off the editor hat. It's like, mm. oh, I should have done, oh, done it, you know? Um, so so I, I really don't go, I don't re read my book at night, my own book at night. I don't do that. I read other people's books. I'm fascinated by language, and that's why it's very interesting talking to an author. And I just heard you then say, go from saying, I never do that, to then sort of self-edit in real time to say, I haven't. What 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 was going through? What why the I have no idea. I have no idea what I just said. So. <laughs> well, you said, I never read them. And then you said, well, I haven't yeah well because it, it just what struck me is it's slightly similar to when you were talking about um the character in the running dream speaking speaking um more complex sentences i really like that that ability to well, self-edit to speak more accurately or to, or to be mindful of how your message is going to land and i want to be truthful too see because i i didn't mm. want to say this but i have recently opened up flipped and i'm like oh who was, who was the person that wrote this book because she's really funny <laughs> Oh, lovely. Wow. That would be a lovely recognition to have of yourself. Hey, I, I, I wrote this and this is right. very funny. Um, uh, Wendelin, so a couple things I want to talk about here. Um, first of all, did you ever see the movie uh, The Never Ending Story? You know, I, I haven't. I'm familiar wow. with it, but I, I haven't. Really? Okay. So, like, the protagonist in that story is... So I, I, I myself am Mexican, I'm Latino, and he's not oh. Mexican. Sorry, go on. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's, a, it's like a sci-fi. No, it's like a fantasy. He plays like, but anyway, he's just dark. He, his hair is dark and his, um, he's a bit darker skinned, but he, I think he's still Caucasian. It's like, it's like Ralph, Ma seeing like a Ralph Macho and like Karate Kid, just someone a little bit darker. It was so relatable and so empowering to me to like to the nth degree. Um, and so I think it's just so powerful whenever you're writing about characters and people can relate to them. And um, I remember feeling so immersed into that story, uh, the the um, the never ending story. Okay. And and I think for, for you, when, when you're writing and and even me, I can come in and see the story that's taking place, I feel like so immersed in there and so relating to some of the people, especially like Julie, you know, being 
uh, Julie Baker being uh, on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale and just feeling like I just feel like something like like a part of her, like I'm right beside the story with her. It's so amazing, actually, that I have actually become disinvested into into the story because it has been so powerful and so enriching to me. And it's the kind of things that I talk about as far as empathy and trying to understand people. Like I couldn't, I couldn't have designed a better book that I would say, this is what I'm trying to go for. Like, this is what I'm trying to do with this podcast. It's just, just to try to understand the other person. doesn't mean that we're going to agree, but to understand them. So, yeah. So, I, and I think that that is like, at, if, if I had to summarize what it, what it, it all comes back to that. It, Sammy Keys has a nemesis and she's just a mean girl in, in uh -huh. middle school. And, and Sammy and in, in the, and she has a neighbor who's trying to, to, to prove that Sammy lives illegally with her grandmother. Like wow. why would a person do that? If you're, right. if you're that poor off, you know, why, right. why would someone try to make your life more miserable, get you out on the street? So Sammy asked her grandmother, you know, how, why, why is Mrs. Graybill such a, such a bitter old woman? Hmm. And her, her grandmother says, well, it just happens to some, it happens to people sometime. And then right. Sammy's okay. like, well, if it just happens to people, then it could just like happen to me. Hmm. And she doesn't accept wow. that answer. She wants to figure out why it is that this woman has, has this bitterness in her and it takes four books, but she does figure it out. Hmm. Wow. And the same thing, Sammy Keys has this nemesis. And across 17 books, she's just this mean girl. So why is she so mean? Why mm. is she? It's, and so in the 17th book, um, Sammy and the mean girl have to work together. And Sammy wow. figures out that it all comes out. Why it is that she hates Sammy so much? So, but I think that that, that is it that like with Flip, it's like looking at the other person, looking at the other side. And I think that if we could all just take a step back yeah, and try yeah. to figure out why people are feeling the way they are about things that yeah. we would as a society move forward in our healing yeah like just and just thinking this person's bad well what why are they the way they are why are you exactly. the way that you are yeah you know, exactly have our reasons and and people should and so the idea behind a lot of my books is look beneath the surface of of what you're seeing and try to try to 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 feel yeah. what the other person's feeling because i think that goes toward healing yeah and and let, let, let me give it let me give it a little bit of a background on this because i've seen a lot of interviews like with with people who play villains in in movies and they want to play the best damn villain that they can okay someone like joker um i'm not sure if you saw i think suicide squad yeah suicide suicide squad Jared Leto went through this extreme length to actually play the Joker character. In fact, he was did he did what's called method acting, where you yeah. totally immerse yourself in the character and you will not break character for anything. They'll literally live months um, in this character's role. Um, um, what's his name? Uh, Tom Hanks actually went to like a boot camp for like two or three weeks preparing for Saving Private Ryan to get into that mindset. So, um, what what I've heard them say is that in 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 the in in the eyes of a villain, they're the hero for their story. Okay, so when you mm -hmm. understand that they don't see themselves as a villain, right. for whatever circumstances, right. they genuinely 
obviously yeah. it's a warped way of thinking, but they generally thinking that they're doing the right thing in the moment. So if they want to play those characters, they generally have to see themselves um, as the hero right. of the story. So yeah, yeah most, I think that's the most so hurtful people are often the most hurt. It's usually comes from some sort of hurt or feeling deficient. Right. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, I don't know. Th thank you very much for that. And I I'll let you get back to that real quick, Harry. But recently there has been a huge push in Hollywood about showing background stories right. of villains. Uh, so for right. example, 101 the complex villain. Yeah. Right. 101 Dominations. Is that what it's called? Cruella Deville. <laughs> okay, I didn't know that. Uh, but Cruella Deville, and then also like Snow White, whatever, uh, The Wizard of Oz, they all have these backstories. We're like, oh wow, I totally see why this person would behave like that if all these things, like I totally get it. I totally understand it. So yeah, totally, it, it adds rich, richness to the characters. But I'm sorry, Harry, I just wanted to finish that thought. Do you, have, do you have anything else? No, I think Harry? that's, so what would you say then is the secret for people listening to this? What would be the secret for you, Wendelin, for how do you get inside that? Because I think we've all got villains in our own lives. How do you get inside a real person's head if you don't have the, the benefit of writing, <clears throat> excuse me, writing their character? So are you asking, how do I get into the head of the villain? Or are you asking me, how do I understand my fellow man? The second. So with your understanding of how you write that villain, what what skills could somebody use yeah. from learn from your books about how they could get into the mind of, of the villain in their life? I think that the number one thing is to listen and to not listen combatively, like mm -hmm. to, 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 to find a way to have a conversation that isn't combative. And, um, and then you try, you try to say, well, how might this person see my behaviors? Like you, it's hard to look at yourself and, and see the flaws in what you're doing because you feel justified in the way right, that you behave. Right, and, right. and so, but if, if you, tr you, you teach yourself, take a step back, how might somebody else see the way mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I responded or the way that I acted? And then right. you you start to learn to see that well maybe that maybe I I could have phrased that differently or maybe I shouldn't have had that attitude you know um, because or maybe I was joking but I'm not familiar enough with mm -hmm, that person mm -hmm, for them to know mm -hmm. that I'm joking yeah mm -hmm. um, so so both like trying to see why it is that they're feeling the way they are um, and acting the way they are I find that the people in my life who are the most trying. I, I just, I try to backtrack. Okay, well, there's a reason that they, they are the way they are. And when I can find mm -hmm. the reason that they are the way they are, um, then I, I switch my annoyance about them to a feeling of, of sympathy. Like, mm. I, feel, I feel sorry for you that. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say that. But it makes them like that makes the Thanksgiving feast a lot more tolerable when when you understand that the person who's acting the way they are is mm -hmm. acting that way because either they they feel intimidated or they feel ignored or they feel there's a reason that they're feeling that way and behaving that way. And yeah. so it makes it a lot more tolerable if you can reframe it to saying, oh, well, they just this is why they're doing that. Mm. as opposed to oh that's so annoying man <laughs> so there's two other books i want to get to one is going to be shredderman and um it's actually interesting you, you use it as your email 
curious why you do that, but um, yeah. Shredder Girl. But um, what what's the motivation behind there? Because I remember you telling me a bit about your bullying. If you wouldn't mind, maybe giving a little bit of a background uh, about that. Was it was it like speaking in an accent or having parents who were just foreigners who don't really fit in? Being like, I guess we used to. I guess this is a really old expression, but uh, fresh off the boat or uh, just yeah. cross the border. That is a Mexican. That's what they would use. Was there was there any of an element of that? Um, and also, I do want to say something very interesting is that my cousin was like a he used to tell us all of these stories growing up at nighttime. He would just speak for hours and hours, just improvising stories. But he actually did something totally similar, at least in his mind he wrote a similar Shredder character where he had like this alternate persona. He called him yeah. Eric Murdoch. And this, this guy was like a detective or whatever. And he was like catching all the bad guys, which is like totally what you're talking about. So whenever you were talking about that, I was like, oh my God. I went back in time 30 years ago to my cousin who was a victim of bullying. He's like, he's like a, maybe actually even if I think about it, maybe on the spectrum, uh, like a very high functioning autistic. I mean, we didn't really have those words growing up, really. Um, it was just kind of like maybe just a little bit socially this is awkward. a long question. Yeah, no, yeah, they're, I know. they're always long. <laughs> I love getting I love getting in this and talking about why I relate to this, you know. But mm. so the Shredderman, um, what was the background? Can you give a little bit of background and context on that and um what you thought? Because that also got turned into a movie as well. Yeah, it did. Nickelodeon made a movie out of uh, Shredder Man. And so uh, <clears throat> your multifaceted question, I'll, I'll take little uh, planes okay. of it and try to answer. So yes, when, when I was a, a child, I was, well, um, yeah, my parents were immigrants. And so they're, they were um, very frugal and trying, you know, they had their own business and trying to there's a lot of commitment to that, both financial and time-wise, and mm -hmm. um, and so they didn't buy into the whole. Like I grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and buy into the whole, you know, style of Los mm -hmm. Angeles. And um, so I kind of I wore a lot of hand-me-downs mm -hmm. um, from the neighbor girl, <laughs> mm -hmm. and so I would, including her underwear. Um, which were too large for me because I was like a, just a string bean. And so I'd wow. take three steps and have to hike up my underwear, I'd take three steps, have to hike up my underwear. And so wow. that was the, the kind of thing that people really, other kids notice and they make right. fun of. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I was harassed a lot um, wow. for, for superficial reasons. And also, you know, I was... <sighs> an overachiever because my my parents you know they're mm -hmm. we're in this new country and and it's it's a blessing to be here and work we need to work hard so wow. hard work was part of the formula and so that included getting good grades in school and so it was just so i was one of those you know people with their hand up all the time because i had the answer i had the answer uh -huh. um and, and like so, julie yeah, i uh, looking back at myself i can see that that i was odd and i was annoying um, but that was no reason to follow me into the bathroom and, you know, look at me as I'm trying to leave, relieve myself in the 
over the divider, you know, as I'm trying mm. to relieve myself and just, wow. you know, jab me with a sewing pin from home at class. It, it was oh, just, God. and so that, that's, that my childhood, um, uh, in school, um, I, I loved being in the neighborhood with the neighborhood kids. We, we ran kind of wild and we played a lot of games in the street. And so being at home and being with the kids in the neighborhood was, was fun, but school was, school was hard because of the, the dress and just the being made fun of. Um, so then when my, my, uh, one of my children was a unique individual, he would rather at, at four and a half, he was counting by nine and a half and, and <laughs> like in the, in, in his car seat and we're driving to daycare and he's like, nine and a half, 19, twenty and a half. what's that sex, mom? I was like, I have no idea what you're doing. I teach math, but I have no idea what you're doing. So um, I'm counting by nine and a half, mom. So he obviously had behaviors that people would make fun of. And mm -hmm. so, and I, I, I would feel, I would just feel sad to see him like by himself on the playground. And, and I just like, they just could know my boy, they would know he's just this awesome kid, but you know, kids, they, they can be cruel. And yeah. so Shredder Man came from, okay, I'm going to take my smart, nerdy son and I'm, I'm going to fashion a superhero out of that for all the smart, nerdy kids who feel like they've been picked on. Of oh. course, nerds, and we say that, and they, they proudly proclaim themselves such now. It is yeah. not a four letter word. It is a, yeah. it is a, you know, they rule the world now. So Nerd. I just think that that is, that is four awesome. letters. That is awesome. And E-R-D, that is four. No, but you're totally right. It is the Elon Musk. It is the uh, Mark Zuckerbergs. It is the uh, Mark Cubans uh, are doing that. So you don't understand that context though, whenever you're a kid. And, and as for as many bad things that happen to you, I have to say, I was on the other end of the, the bullying a lot of times, both, both actually both sides, one at home, receiving it at home, and then two, dishing it at school. So you just got to understand at that age, you have no idea about the life. You know, when I look back at myself 20 or 30 years ago and think of the way that I acted out, not knowing how to deal with the stuff that was going on internally. Um, I can look. I can look at bullies now with compassion and understand that if you are really a true, truly content and happy and whole inside of yourself, you could never. Like the last thing in the world you want to do is hurt another person because you would know that you ultimately hurt yourself. You hurt so, yourself so by your character. That that is exactly the point of the Shredder Man series. It's the uh -huh. the Shredder Man series starts with you know Nolan, the who is Shredder Man, asking. Well, it's kind of like Sammy Key's asking why he's, you know, the neighbor. Um, so um, he says um, that Bubba Bixby was born big and mean, <laughs> full of teeth and ready to bite. Like this bully was born a bully. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, my mom says the, uh, one thing and my dad says another. My mom says people aren't born bullies. They grow into being bullies. <laughs> and so <laughs> this in this four book series, this... Bubba Bixby is just this big, just presence. He is just awful. Um, but by the end of the fourth book, he becomes, and I'll just spoiler alert, <laughs> he becomes he becomes Nolan's sidekick. 
He's wow. just, he doesn't want to be a bully. He wants to be Shredder Man's sidekick. He wants to do, Whoa. I can totally get into truth and justice, man. That's what <laughs> wow. he says, you know? And so it's, and it's, and Nolan sees that his father shoves him into the car. Nolan sees that his father is kind of the one who is, is giving these behaviors. Um, right. This is permission mm. to do this because that's being done to him. So yes, it's like, even with the bullies, there is a reason that they're behaving the way they are and they just seem mean to us. But there's there's deeper stuff there that right, probably right. as as you and your own experience found out there yeah. there there are reasons that people behave the way they do mm -hmm. or their perfect life may be in shambles behind those doors and you don't right know right yeah I think it's a really important message I do yeah because it it gets to that point you were making before about <clears throat> if if you can be mindful of that. It helps to be aware of it, but if you can be mindful even that that might be the case, it gives you the opportunity to do what you were talking about before, Wendelin, which is sort of rather than look with, with frustration or anger to instead experience sympathy for somebody. Mm -hmm. so they're, they're sort of, I was introduced to this idea long ago that people are doing the best they can at any moment. Right. And so if you look at some people, you go, you know, I used to look at, think about it almost pejoratively. That's the best you can do. That's, but then, yeah, it would, it would switch into sympathy to go, what, what's been happening for you in your life or just today that mm -hmm. this, you know, when you see somebody shouting at a shop clerk on, on some viral Twitter video to go, Oh, you've had a, tough day or something's going on for you because this is the best you can do at this moment and it is insulting See, somebody in a shop imagine if someone said that in reply instead of like being combative like going back the other direction have getting getting into a twitter war mm. you know imagine mm -hmm. if someone said oh i'm so sorry you must have had a horrible day because i know you're doing the mm -hmm. best you can do and if this is it you must have had a really bad day yeah <laughs> wow i like um, that I think the last book um, I would like you to to tell me about. Well, actually, I think there's there's two more. The gecko, the gecko. Was it the gecko? And then the gecko and sticky is a spinoff from Shredder Man. It's a spinoff. Um, yeah. And then there was, I guess, Wild Bird. You didn't really talk much about that. Would you mind giving us a little bit of context of uh, the gecko one first? Okay, so the Gecko and Sticky, so the Shredder Man books, there were four of them, and I paced them in a way where it came out, you know, about Bubba and it, and that he wanted to be Nolan's sidekick and why he was the mean boy that he was. Um, and I loved the way it ended. And then, and then Nickelodeon made a movie. <laughs> so mm -hmm. again, it's like flipped. It's like people would want a sequel or to continue the story when you have something that's successful. But I really mm. liked the way the fourth book ended the Shredder Man series. And, um, and so instead I proposed writing the spinoff to it, which is the Gecko and Sticky, which was um, Nolan's favorite television show. So it's a funny, oh. it's a funny television show that uh, comes to life in <laughs> uh, the four book series of the Gecko and Sticky. So it's it's designed to give so i live in california there's a huge hispanic population here um i've done school visits to the central valley where funding um didn't even allow for a pa system so the the principal was like on a ladder in the middle of the quad oh my god giving the announcements and 
And so I I wanted to to have a super. So Dave Sanchez is is the superhero in he's really he's like okay. So you have Spider Man, right? This is the gecko. The gecko can walk on walls. <laughs> gecko man. There are things that he, there are superpowers that he has with the assistance of his sidekick, who is a gecko. So kids get this. It's like the gecko is a superhero, and and Sticky is a ge- kleptomaniacal talking gecko lizard. So okay. Um, so it's a sort of fantasy, fun superhero mm. uh, book for for younger kids, and the idea was to to give people who who don't feel like they they have the things that they would want in life to show them that they have the love of family <laughs> um wow and and that they are a superhero wow. um, just from doing the things that they do so any chance you've seen the movie mcfarland usa yes oh i yes i did with kevin yeah. costner yeah and, yeah so there is a little bit of a generational yes. gap between my father and, and i because he grew up like a farm worker and so he would tell us stories about just being in the field with his um with his mom and like having shoes that like he literally had to put it like cardboard in to there um just to keep out the 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 water you know and so i had a really hard time to understand my father some of the context and kind of um you know, some what he grew up in, because as, as bad as we had it, I mean, I can imagine he had it 10 times worse. Same thing with my mother. And so, um, yeah, seeing that and um, the McFarlane USA, this uh, Caucasian coach winds up going and coaching, coaching a bunch of uh, farmers, uh, you know, farm worker children, <clears throat> and they wind up winning state multiple state titles. And I think, I think that's the key thing. Like a, a bully can be... Um, rehabilitated a prisoner can be rehabilitated so one thing i love about the netherlands actually and norway that they actually look to rehabilitate people in their um in their prison system and uh, my dad's a chaplain in the uh in the in the prison system in, in california and there's not a whole lot of i mean there is some but just that's not the emphasis you know whereas some of the other places um as i said like norway sweden uh they, that's actually a big part of their, uh, you know, rehabilitation. So I think, yeah, just when you understand the, the situations people are in and they might be in a low income situation uh, in a situation where there's not a lot of resources as what you're talking about, the yelling out, but you can take anyone and you put them in a better environment, equip them with more resources and give them the proper education. You could see stuff like um, Stand and Deliver, if you ever seen that movie, yeah. Where this guy went in. Uh, calculus. Yeah. And he taught them calculus. So it's like, yeah. it's a matter of just um, like, I, I strongly, strongly, strongly believe in the tabula rasa concept that we come in, like everyone comes in just like a blank piece of paper and it, it's what you put into people. They're going to wind up reflecting that. So uh, speaking so, of just, what just get. The, the, the interesting thing to me about this is that my husband and I, well, actually my friends and I, we have discussions about this a lot. It's just mm-hmm. that you can be in a, in a position in life, which is really great. Um, you got everything going for you and yet you find you complain about things. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it just feels like, okay, like my parents were immigrants and, we, and they worked super hard and, uh, um, you know, to build a life here. And I saw that and I appreciated that. And 
I can tell my children about that. I can mm-hmm. tell my children about the hours I, I worked at their business and, and just the, the things I endured being part of like the, the, this whole, you know, coming to a different country and, but they won't feel it the way that right, I do right, or the way yeah. my parents did. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and so it's like, if you get far enough removed and you wind up in a place which is super comfortable it's almost like you can't really appreciate where you are because you didn't Mm -hmm. struggle to get there. And so I think part of the joy that I feel in my life has come through the struggle. And so I, I look back on just the bad stuff and, and I'm like, yeah, but that's what made you the person you are. And that's Mm -hmm. why you are where you are. So I look back with gratitude, not that I would want that stuff for myself, but I think that because it's, again, you take the lemons and you do your best to make lemonade. And if you can sit and take a sip and it sips really good, then it's, it's like you appreciate that so much more than if someone had just handed you a glass of lemonade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. I say uh, make some lemon meringue pie. I love lemon meringue pie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah. So, oh yeah. Just the last book I think to talk about would be the wild bird. If you could just give us a little bit of context on that and. Um, okay. So wild bird is a story about a, a young teen. She's 14. Uh-huh. She's, um, she's taken a wrong turn in life uh-huh. and her parents have tried everything to bring her back, but she's running with the, the, the wrong crowd mm-hmm. and she is um, getting into some dangerous stuff. And so in a, in a last ditch effort to try to save her, they, they send her, they have her abducted in the middle of the night and she's taken to a wilderness therapy camp in wow. the Utah desert. So she goes, it's against her will. Um, mm-hmm. And there's controversy about these camps. I'm aware of that. Um, right but like anything else you need to vet where you send your kid so she she gets um she gets sent to the utah desert to serve learn to survive in the wilderness with other troubled teens but also to get to the heart of why it is that she is um she is the the way she has become Mm. and the the story is really about trying to to figure out it asks the question, who do you want to be? Like, do you, do you want to be somebody that other people just pull around like you're a pull toy and you're just going with them wherever wherever they lead? Or do you want to be somebody who has their own convictions and is is it believes in things and wants to do, you know, what is it you want to do with your life and how do you get there? So the idea of, of Wild Bird is about, you know, it's it's challenging teens or people that read it to define the qualities they want within themselves. Who do you want to be? Um, and that is done in with the setting of a, a desert therapy camp where where she's against nature. Like nature isn't going to listen to your whining. Nature isn't going to listen to your complaining. Nature is going to rain on you, and if you don't put your tent up, you are going to get wet. Mm. Wow. So it it's it's about it, it's about finding the strength inside yourself to stand up for the things that that you want for yourself i like it i like that i think that's yeah it's it's very powerful because i think there is and this is what you were alluding to when you first started speaking i think there is a temptation now 
somewhat understandably to sort of to talk a lot about what holds us back or um, to sort of, and I don't think they're presented as excuses, sort of, oh, this is why I'm failing to thrive. This is why I'm sort of, not failure to thrive is a thing with kids, isn't it a medical term? But a sort of, this is the way the world's got it stacked against me. But being able to recognise that, I think, on the one hand, is important for society at large. But what you're talking about is for the individual, it needs to be how do you sort of set for yourself a purpose and, and, and struggle towards that? Because when we're, when, and I, I think those teen years, those formative years are so important because in, in school, they're like, well, what's your career path or where are you going to go? Are you going to go to college? What vocation do you want to, it's like, what do you want to do? Mm. And it's, it's never, who do you want to be? You know, what kind of person do you want to grow up and become? Yeah. And I think that that is so much more important because everything else is going to come from that. Like the, your self-worth, feeling self-worth is going to have you, you know, wind up with someone who respects you because you mm. respect yourself enough to demand that someone <laughs> treat you right. Yeah. So it, everything comes from that. Yeah. That's amazing. I think, I think yeah, uh, I think that's a really important important message because it, otherwise we get stuck between the sort of as adults is constantly this argument about it when it comes to political discussions between like sort of stop everything let's let's help let's make sure nobody gets nobody nobody feels left out or left behind which is important versus pull yourself up by your bootstraps and I think that the answer needs to be somewhere in the middle that sort of collectively let's be mindful of that that people are going through different experiences that the bullies are sometimes the people who are hurting but it also yeah how do you set for yourself a purpose and struggle against adversity and and push forward and do it and and i think that that having having like empowering that a uh, a teen a mm. child with mm -hmm. the, the those thoughts will bring them into adulthood in a proactive way and mm. and so it's like my goal as a writer is is to give my reader this this sense that they can do stuff. They can do anything. You know, mm. Jessica can come back and and run on a prosthetic limb. Uh, I mean, it's like it's it's like the, the world is going to hurl stuff at you. Mm -hmm. Society is going to hurl stuff at you, mm -hmm. and you need to have your your feet like in a stance of power, and you need wow. to be able to 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 believe in yourself enough to know that you can go up against that and succeed. Yeah. I actually got to spend, um, I gave away some trips to the, uh, to the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics uh, through my company at Wendelin. And, and I did get to go down there and spend some time with the uh, Mets and Paralympians. And it was so amazing to see what these people were doing. Um, some of them with, as, as you said, like prosthetic uh, limbs. And so, so one of these guys, he would ski with he had he had his prosthetic leg, but he would ski with one ski. So um, yeah, yeah, seriously. And then there's other people who were like paraplegics. I, I don't understand how they could do this, but they like sit down on one ski. It's like one ski oh, yes, balanced yeah. like with a chair. It's like unbelievable. Yeah. And then I got to see these other these other two Olympians from uh, the UK, and they one of them was blind okay so what they do is they go down this and we're talking about like extremely high ski slope and like i wouldn't i would not go down this thing being fully able to see being fully body able it's that steep it's that scary 
and the person in front of them tells them where to go, like go to the left, go to the right. And um, yeah, this, this lady was fully blind and they're able to go down there. And it, it, was, it was quite amazing seeing the, the triumph of the human spirit to overcome, um, you know, these difficulties. And I just thought, I just thank you so much, really so much for writing those, um, these books, because I just think it's just so empowering to, you know, younger people. And I wanna, I wanna bring this to a close right now, but I do wanna ask you a last question uh, pertaining to Flipped because- <laughs> Of course you do. Is, <laughs> yeah, it's probably always gonna get back to Flipped. Um, because there is a lot of people who are positively like obsessed about seeing a part two. So can you tell, talk a little bit about maybe what you felt you had done with the characters? Uh, because most of your other stories seems like they have multiple sequels. And I understand in oh, one oh. sense that it's just, obviously there's a popularity just to, there's a possibility just to make a lot more money, but what is it do you feel like a responsibility to the characters or um, you felt like just comfortable where you left it um can you just speak a little bit to that i will okay i um i feel a responsibility to the hope that is exhibited at the end of flipped i i feel like hope is the most important thing that you can instill in someone and that is much more important to me to to leave with on a note of hope than it is to line out when they lived happily ever after <laughs> okay so i i um so i have a responsibility to hope and and so i am going to restrain from telling you what i think happened to bryce and julie well <laughs> because too bad <laughs> i'd say uh you are trying to get that out of me no. <laughs> well um no I, I i presented i presented my ideas on that like i met one person i briefly dated a girl um who <laughs> whose parents like met in the sixth grade and dated from the sixth grade. And so that's the only person I've ever met in my whole life who was, you know, who had, who knew someone who was dating someone that they had met way when they're children. Well, so I, I have a couple of friends from elementary school who are stopping by my house on Tuesday and they have known each other. They're married. They've been married this entire time. Um, so it can and does happen. Okay. Touche. So. But, but the point is, is when I, <clears throat> in our first talk, I said, that's not really the, that's not really the point. The point it's is not. what they've learned. The point is what they've learned about themselves. And exactly. if you would write that same story, let's just say, 10 years, you just take it 10 years or five years in the future, their thoughts about themselves and reality and other people, their family are going to continue to evolve. You know, the way that I looked at my family, my father, like I didn't speak to my father for years. And as a father now, understanding what he went through and like my father is my best friend in the world, but it's taken a lot of traveling around the world, experiencing different things to really appreciate um, the kind of life that my family tried to give me growing up. So I have so much, the respect I have for my father is to the 10th degree now. 
And so, yeah, it just, you know, we just continue to learn things and evolve. And my thing is, I know how much my perspective has changed from five years ago when I wasn't a father. So I just think maybe in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years when I'm a grandfather or something like that, how much my life, my perspective might totally change about the way that I think right now. So I try to use that in saying, this is how I believe right now. It doesn't mean I'm always going to believe this way. So I might as well just try to learn from other people who might have some different uh, opinions along the way and not say, oh, I'm right. You're totally wrong. And that's just not what I try to do. And it's not how I want to um, engage with this uh, you know, podcast. But that being said, we have created a fan page for you. So we're going to do a little bit of exploration of that right now because... Um, very fittingly, very fittingly, Rob Reiner also directed Misery. So if you know anything about Misery, the author gets abducted and forced to make a sequel. So maybe it's not the best thing to have your personal information out on Facebook because you don't want people doing that. So we've, we've removed it to another degree. So Harry, if you can go ahead and pull it up right now. And we have, sure. do have a little, another little special treat. So, yeah, right. Quite ironic. Hey, by the way, Anthony Edwards was Goose. Seriously? Well. Really? What? Yes. He's Goose in The Father Played Goose in he's, Top Gun. He's, yes, that's where he started. That's amazing. Uh, okay, we have it up there. Um, Harry? Mm-hmm. There we go. So this is an actual fan page. You made a fan page? Well, do you have a lot of fans, Wendelin? I mean, I've seen some people who are like borderline like... Oh, did you oh, make... Like, I thought... I didn't know you'd made this, Isaiah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, oh, my, so, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I kind of put all your stuff on there. So we got... I guess you did. <laughs> I, I literally oh. was up to like four or five last night. I can't... Wow. So it's still, it's a work in progress, but uh, people can actually come on here and talk about your stuff. Um, oh my goodness. It's a little bit better of a, because you can actually have like a forum, forum chat and stuff. So um, no one's going to come abduct me and make me write the flip <laughs> It's going to be slightly a threat, wasn't it? Yeah, this oh, is kind of, this is kind of, oh, there I go. You can see me on there right now. But uh, I've literally, I don't think I've ever seen people get so obsessed. And like, as a 40-year-old man, I'm still this obsessed with this story because it's so powerful. Um, but uh, that, speaking of which, um, we'll make um, a link available here. But Harry, I also sent you a link to a YouTube video. Three, two, one. Right. Film directed by Rob Reiner. This coming-of-age saga plays out in various flashbacks between protagonist Bryce Lasky and Julie Baker, as they navigate a variety of circumstances and mishaps while developing a deeper friendship. From the beginning scene we are introduced to both characters, as female <laughs> takes an immediate interest in Bryce, who is less than enthusiastic. The majority of the film revolves around subplots that involve both characters exploring different sides of themselves and each other, while also learning to see things from the other's perspective. Among the main storylines involves Bryce witnessing a friend's snake eat a raw egg, and having an immediate emotional reaction. He later has nightmares about being eaten by a snake, which gives him a natural aversion to eggs. 
Shortly after, Julie brings over some fresh eggs from her hens, which were the result of a science project. Bryce, unable to face his fear with the eggs, and wanting to avoid Julie altogether, trashes the eggs, though he lies to his family about returning them. This unfortunately goes on for this, a prolonged period. Is this going to give the whole synopsis? I'm feeling like we're going to give away spoilers. On a weekly basis to protect himself from yeah, it's actually happening. <laughs> we better not show them. And although she is rightfully angry, understanding Bryce's fear of eggs as well as his attempt to save her embarrassment might have eased her Spoiler alert, yeah. judgment Spoiler alert, yeah. Skip forward. Okay, so <laughs> where do you want me to skip to? No, 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 just... Uh... Let let it go. Let it go. It's it's only it's only half of it, so it doesn't give the whole story. Just just okay. let it go. Okay. Yeah. Spoiler. If you want to know the the general plot, it's a general plot. Fixing her yard, as Bryce uses the excuse of fearing salmonella poisoning from her eggs due to her unkempt yard. This directly shows that there are ripple effects of lies that may carry on further past an initial deception one might use. Additionally, it demonstrates that positive outcomes can come out of negative situations, such as Bryce's grandfather befriending and helping Julie, as well as serving as a catalyst to get him to think of her in a different light. In perhaps one of the most empathetic parts of the story, it is revealed that Julie's uncle has special needs resulting from birth complications. This has major implications for the family, as they are unable to own a house due to the additional costs of having to pay for care for her uncle. Even when confronted with the fact that Bryce suffered from similar complications, his father becomes even more entrenched and hard-headed in his thinking. While he could have drawn a direct connection to his own child and that of the baker's relative, he chooses to be even more stubborn in his unwillingness to understand what it is like to walk in their shoes. It is later shown that he harbors regret about not being able to pursue his own musical career, while the baker's sons are chasing their dreams of stardom. Adding context to his character helps the reader to understand why he is projecting his own past failures, disappointed with himself, and perhaps had he been born in a different time, might have had access to technology that was unavailable to him as a teen, thus showing a clear generational gap. So that is the first part of that. Yeah, we'll have to give a definitely spoil alert when, it, when I edit this, but... Yeah, that, I feel Thank like you. Go on, sorry, Wendell. I, I love how much you love this story and how uh, you've it's been pathetic. able to... It's pathetic. It's pathetic. No, it's not. I feel, I oh. feel like an absolute pathetic loser. I'm obsessed Be, with this thing. Well, so what you've done is study it and you've you've pulled out the nuance. Like, you you know, some kids will read it and they're like, oh, Bryce and Julie. Oh, it's so cute. I love them. But they, it's, it's really, there's there's stuff beneath that surface that I really want them to, to get out of it. And obviously you have studied it and you have pulled those, those, um, I don't want to say lessons, but those nuggets out of that. I'm glad that you're proud because I am absolutely mortified by myself because I've become <laughs> totally obsessed with this because it's, I just, no, really, no, I'm joking. But at the end of the day, I just, I just, I genuinely, I've told you, you look at our logo you can see the flipped concept there and i think if we just take this chance to just look at the other person's perspective it just i i told you the first the first one we did like if i had like a motto or a like a like a slogan or like a a mascot it would it would be this book for what i'm trying to do because uh whenever you talked about how you wrapped it in this story um to 
I feel honestly like at the end of the day you like punked like the you know punked like you punked the <laughs> yeah you trolled I feel like I genuinely feel like you trolled me at the end because I'm like wow I didn't realize that you were actually doing that to me Gwendolyn until you explained <laughs> it to me but yeah it just it's, it's really something I believe in and well, I, I don't think that a message book is one that goes over with anybody, not adults, not with kids, especially not with kids. And so if there's something that that you'd like them to reflect on or consider for their lives, I think that if, wrapping it in a story that they can relate to is the way that you, you know, the way that you share your heart, because their heart will be open that way. Whereas if you just tell them what to do, or, or you tell them your point of view, it's just it's it it it's not going to sink in they'll mm. tolerate you but it's not going to sink in yeah, and yeah. so just for society i mean i i wish that for society we could take mm -hmm. and look at our neighbor you know the way that bryce and julie have learned to look at each other and see in you know beneath the surface that's the phrase in the book but to see past you know the the curtains you know to see each other to see each mm -hmm. other's other's uh, situation and I think that if we as a society could could start to mm -hmm. do that more, that there'd be a lot of healing going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a and, message. And one last really quick question. <laughs> <laughs> this has been four last questions. You don't so, know so. how to do a quick this, this, question. This is a very, like, no, this, this, is, this is legitimately quick. Uh, can you explain the line where Bryce's grandfather talks about some people are born with gloss or, and then he says some people yeah. are born iridescent. Uh, can you explain that one? I promise that's the last line. I promise. Okay, so some some people are flat. Some are are um, oh, I should <laughs> satin. And some yeah, gloss. Yeah. And once in a while, you find someone who is iridescent. And when you do, nothing will ever compare. So that was a line that I wrote as I was writing the story it wasn't like oh i have this great idea of her mm -hmm. it was that it just it it just started Powerful. to come out and because that was one of those things like if i if i overplot or if i over you know structure then those like organic moments don't happen as often mm -hmm. so that was just an organic thing that kind of floated out of me mm -hmm. and it has become one of those sort of iconic quotes from flip um mm -hmm. and it, because I, I think that iridescence, it, it's just like you see, see someone with a, with a glow of, mm, mm. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's like, Julie has, see, not a short answer. Ju, Julie has strength inside herself. Yeah, she has yeah, convictions yeah. of her beliefs. Yeah, yeah, she is yeah. somebody who is um, strong on the inside and that mm -hmm. comes through and and she has a wonder for the world that uh, other people around her don't they don't care about you know what you can see from the top of that tree they're like mm -hmm. this girl is crazy but she is like she is unique and i think that the iridescence is like it's it's like that uniqueness that like power from within mm. i don't know if that answered your question but that yeah, was absolutely a lovely answer no thank you very much Actually, just this isn't a question. I wait, wait, one more question. <laughs> no, no, this is not a question. I just want to say this because um, this, is, this is supposed to come out on the first one. It's just uh, out of whip this one. But um, the whole idea that um, the grandparents, like when you're growing up, you don't really understand how much they actually know or your parents. 
how much they actually know. And you're a kid, you think that you know it all. And that's a lesson I wish I would have learned that one 30 years ago and actually listen to the things that my parents were telling me. So um, seeing that play out in, in, the, in the story and seeing the, the grandfather try to give the, the son the wisdom is I, I just thought was brilliant. So uh, that being said, uh, Harry, you got any last thoughts? It's been a lovely chat. Thank you very much for sharing sharing your insights, Wendelin. I think there's um there's a lot to take away. I usually ask people for for a so what, but to, the main one I want to take away is the the what you were saying about hope in the mail. Just keep doing it, keep perfecting your craft because that is such an important thing for people. I think artists definitely, but anybody really, as you were saying. Um. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you very much. It's been a really fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. It was very nice to meet you and to see you again. I say, yeah. All right. Any last thoughts? I like, what, I like what you guys are doing. I think that is very valuable, and I and I hope that it does um, continue to go out there and spread respect and empathy yeah. for others. Yeah. And so, um, so the first flip because i'm so obsessed with that we've given like 10 <laughs> copies we're we wrapping but, it up now <laughs> i know i know but but uh we're going to give away three copies of some other books so uh, can you choose three that you would um of these three i think we said um runaway, runaway. wild bird and the running dream okay runaway, all right but you you could we didn't talk about runaway, so you could just throw a flip in there and Oh God, God, now that's <laughs> oh my god. And you know this whole thing because uh my my my, my well, we are wrapping up right now. I'm wrapping up two minutes, but my mom we did adopt like over 10 kids into our home. So that one, I mean you have so many books, how can you cover them all in one session? You know, so yeah. That being said, we really want to thank you. Uh, I really want to thank you for your your works. I think it's extremely uh, powerful extremely uh, empowering as well and so if you want to win a copy of one of those books just hashtag the actual name of the book and we'll be picking um, some winners for that so it's wild bird and runaway and the running dream those are extremely extremely powerful books i think anyone reading those would take a take away something very strong that uh, will, will help you it will really help in your life and i i do believe the same thing about flipped which is why we've given away 10 copies and so you can actually still win one of those copies by hashtagging flipped and we'll post the link to that video because we still have eight more copies of that to give away. We've actually given away two. So look us up at www.rhpodcast.com or look us up on Facebook. You can check out uh, Wonderland's links. We're going to put them all in the in the comment section uh, below. Yep. So uh, thank you for joining us today and we look forward to seeing you back again. Goodbye. Cheers. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.